Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Tim Wendelbow Coffee Podcast. Today our guest is Morten Veneschgor. Morten has been working with coffee since, well, for many, many years. I started knowing him in 2003 when he started working for Solberg & Hansen. Uh, I was at that time working for Stockflitz, a chain of coffee shops that was owned by the roastery Solberg & Hansen. And Morten kind of started as the product development, uh, coffee buyer, coffee roaster, uh, in that kind of category. So obviously we had a lot of talks uh, over the years and I had many good arguments. But um, in uh, the early 2010s, we started talking about uh, opening a green coffee import company named Nordic Approach. And I was actually co-founder of that company. And in the beginning, I was uh, a part owner as well, but not anymore. So to sum up uh, the 10 year anniversary of the Nordic Approach company, I have invited Morten to come and talk a little bit about the history of the company and what he does, what Nordic Approach does and what the future holds. So please sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. Mr. Morten Veneskår, hello. Hi. Hi. Can you tell me who, tell our audience who you are? Yes. Um, I, uh, like Tim said, I'm uh, Morten. And um, I mean, I have been working in coffee since 2003. Uh, prior to that, I was, uh, I mean, I started as a chef uh, in the early 90s and then um, worked for some years. And then I studied food science. Uh, after that, I took a bachelor uh, here in uh, Norway in a town called Trondheim. Um, and then, uh, you know, like that's, act that's actually the, the time where I got introduced to coffee and kind of the early stages of specialty coffee, uh, both because I worked in, uh, I mean, while I was studying, I was working almost full time as well. So I worked in some uh, kind of restaurant bar kind of concepts that uh, also carried uh, or did coffees at that time, uh, you know, like uh, the the kind of new wave specialty at that time was uh, espressos <laughs> that were mm, potentially from a single origin yeah. uh, and, you know, like uh, try to make cappuccinos and stuff like that. Um, and then we started to talk to the suppliers and uh, that kind of uh, got me interested in coffee in general. And then I did my thesis um, for the bachelor on coffee, but that was more related to roasting. So I, I was yeah, uh, kind of partnered up with a local commercial roaster in Trondheim and uh, did some experiments there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> almost burned down the school because I tried to roast as well. <laughs> oh, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. And then you started at Solberg & Hansen? Yes. So, um, I mean, that was Solberg & Hansen was actually the supplier that uh, I had in uh, in Trondheim as well. So after after the studying, I went back to the restaurant business for uh, a few years. And then I decided I, I wanted to go into coffee. And then uh, Solberg & Hansen was the coffee roaster at that time that... Uh, I thought was, uh, you know, like doing the best coffees and uh, we're kind of into specialties. So I called them and then by accident, I knew the uh, the managing director there, um, Andreas Herzberg, who is yeah. now my partner in Nordic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, after that, you, you started working there, right? Yes. Yeah. So I just basically <coughs> said I will do anything to get into <laughs> coffee. And I said I can work in production, whatever it takes. And then... Uh, uh, I got a job and actually uh, went straight in more or less as the kind of uh, product uh, manager. So, yeah. Which is when we met. That's when we met, yeah. <laughs> and I do remember I have a, a letter in my computer that I wrote to you and Andreas specifically because we were fighting uh, over 
whether or not we should pack coffee in paper bags or not. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that? Among many other things we I mean, were fighting <laughs> <up>. <laughs> But uh, yeah. But that was the old days. I mean, uh, things weren't... Uh, knowledge was hard to get uh, behind then. I mean, uh, this was kind of the early days of the internet. So most of the coffee knowledge was written down in books or was in the brains of human beings. And um, we, we kind of had to figure out stuff both together and also on our own and doing a lot of experiments and stuff like that. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I, rem- I remember you were cooling coffee with dry ice once in, yeah. the, in the roastery. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, it was fun. And then uh, the reason why you're here today is not because you worked at Solberg, but um, you are working today with Nordic Approach and uh, Tropic. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey from Solberg to when that opened? Yeah, so uh, I mean, when when I started in uh, in Solberg, they had just you know like begun to travel to origin. Cup of Excellence at that time was like in the early beginning. So um, you know, like both the owner, the current or the the, the owner at that time, uh, and Andreas, uh, you know, like uh, as well as uh, you know like partners like Tim, for instance, you know, like were pushing also. Uh, to go to origin so i think after my first two or three months i was in brazil already starting mm. to cup coffee so that was my kind of introduction to let's say uh, green coffee on the supply chain um, and since uh, since then i mean we through the you know like from 2003 until kind of i left in 2011 we basically uh, developed uh, a direct buying program where I don't I can't remember exactly but I think maybe like 70 80% of our coffees were kind of sourced by ourselves where we actually went to origin and yeah uh, you know like started to look at supply chains and and get to know producers and things like that and uh, you know like I was also responsible for roasting and you know like it's a fairly big roastery so with roasting it's also packaging and packaging machines and a lot of uh, technology (laughs) and then uh, I realized after some years that you know like uh, even if I really liked roasting and that part I mean green coffee was something that was like really um, uh, let's say appealing to me or it gave me you know like uh, a great drive and I just felt that uh, I'm onto something that is kind of uh, new in the markets here and uh, there's a lot of work to be done. So, um, and since we were also buying uh, so much coffee directly, we got, you know, like other roasters from Europe coming to us and asked us if we could help them with green coffee and sourcing and stuff like that. So we, we did actually look at that in Solberg, mm. whether we're going to start, you know, like a kind of a department or a a green coffee trading uh, branch but uh, because of the, the ownership and other things we found it's kind of complicated and it is a very different business yeah for sure so um, I decided to leave the company in 2011 yeah. to start Nordic Approach as a green coffee import company yeah. basically so just for the listeners who don't know who Solberg is, we're referring to Solberg as uh, it's Solberg and Hansen, which is one of the oldest specialty roasters in Norway. They're 130 years old or something. But I specifically remember like uh, before you started working there, um, most of the coffees were very generic. It was like Kenya, AA, Colombia, Excelso, whatever that means. It was uh, Golden Santos from Brazil, yeah. Mo- Monsoon Malabar. Some triage. Triage, yeah. Monsoon Robusta. Yeah. Um, and, you know, back then, this was kind of early 2000s and Cup of Excellence, I think, started in 1999 or 2000. Um, and Solberg was buying quite a lot of uh, coffees from Cup of Excellence um, and supporting that program. But uh, when you started, uh, we started to, because I worked in Stockwitz back then, so Stockwitz was the customer of Solberg and Hansen, and we were starting to be able to access some single estate coffees and single origin coffees but mainly these cup of excellence lots yeah and they tasted phenomenal like compared to yeah yeah, yeah. at that time <laughs> they were amazing i mean if you cup them now i'm not sure no. you know like but but they were good coffees for sure but maybe not as spectacular today as you remember no you know, for like, sure yeah and uh, like the quality 
quality improvement over the years. Mm. Since then has been amazing, I think. But but Cup of Excellence was actually a great program for us at that time because what we did was, you know, like we were I was a judge in, in Cup of Excellence and you know, like you were cupping coffees there for a week, you met a lot of producers, uh, maybe you started to buy, you know, like one or two coffees through Cup of Excellence, but then you in in many cases we went back and, and kind of maintained those relationships and yeah. through them we met other producers and exporters and that's actually a, a, that was a big kind of part of our let's say our building our network mm. uh, in many of these countries actually like network that i kind of i'm not buying anything from the same uh, producers uh, hardly as i did at that time but you know like they were still big part of the network I have today yeah so, yeah and I, I actually the way we buy coffees are mainly based on that model like we, I met a lot of the producers through Cup of Excellence most of the producers I buy from in Central America yeah all of them actually and then Elias in Colombia I met through a mutual friend of ours Alejandro and you were the one who took me on the first trip to Colombia to, to source coffee there and uh, that was the first year of my company actually so yeah. um, I remember we visited Elias uh, yeah. first farm together the yeah. first time yeah. <laughs> I have Pretty photos good. he looks like Maradona <laughs> 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 and we look very young <coughs> much younger yeah. than now yeah let's not talk about that <laughs> but you started the Nordic approach in 2012 and I I remember we had a conversation about that in Kenya in 2011 because then you were with Solberg and um, you then started to speak loudly about thinking of leaving and, and starting your own company. Yeah, it wasn't really official, but still it was kind of internally. It was uh, already uh, out there, I think, with, uh, you know, like and in, in very on very good terms. So that was not like a, that was not an issue at all. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we did talk about that. Uh, I can't remember really if it's 2010 or 2011. I think I left, you know, I left uh, Solberg uh, kind of early 2011. Yeah, uh, like so maybe May. it was the, yeah, maybe it was maybe 2010. It was 2010 yeah. Or maybe just like just January, February 2011. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I mean, I went to Africa for six months, uh, actually with my family. Uh, to kind of do research there because that was part of the, the, the my thing that I wanted to develop a much bigger range of uh, of African coffees that we have uh, that we had in Europe at that time. Yeah. But anyway, I remember we we were talking about it, and I mean, you were also part of actually the initial stages of developing <laughs> the business plan, and I mean. Uh, I remember we did that together. Even the even the name, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, and uh, early on you were also a, a shareholder, a, yeah. a minor shareholder. So well, that was good times. I just uh, realized uh, I didn't have time to be involved because yeah. <laughs> our company grew as well. So, but uh, before we get into all those details, maybe you can tell us or tell the listeners what is Nordic Approach why are, why are you here today and I can explain it's a 10 year anniversary for Nordic Approach yeah. we just had a big party last week or you had a big party I was there yeah. <laughs> and um, so can you just tell the listeners what in kind of short terms what Nordic Approach is and what you actually do today yeah so I mean what I do as a person yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, I mean, so Nordic Approach is basically a, a green coffee import company. Um, so uh, what we did from the beginning was to focus on just on high quality coffee. I mean, for us, when we talk about high quality coffee, it's... Uh, you know, like there's a scoring system. Uh, I guess many of the listeners are aware of that. So, you yeah. know, like for us, we say 85 uh, plus coffees and up and everything have to be traceable. And that was kind of the, that was the, the you know, like the, the concept from the beginning. Um, and uh, on top of that, we wanted to be, you know, as sustainable as it can get. We are sourcing coffee in many different origins. So there's like uh, some of them are complicated. Others are more straightforward in terms of both like uh, verified, uh, you know, like uh, sustainability kind of concept and as well as traceability and, and uh, transparency and all that. But the, the, the concept is that it's high quality, first of all, uh, and traceable. And uh, obviously, we also try to work with uh, partners in the supply chain, whether it's like 
farmers, exporters that have, you know, like uh, some that share our values. And obviously we want to work with good people as well. And, you know, like that, that are, are trying and have some impact uh, on whether it's the environment or social, social sustainability, you know, like a lot of it is small villages with poor people and stuff like that. So that's one thing or that's the main thing. And then we're also price transparent. So from the very beginning, we were sharing all the information basically on the coffees we bought. Yeah. And that was very different back then. So <clears throat> maybe we should uh, take a step back again. And like when you started in, was it 2012? Uh, yeah, that w- that was when we had like our first uh, shipments going. Yeah. yeah, how was the coffee market back then? Like, uh, maybe quickly explain what a coffee importer is as well <laughs> for those yeah, of yeah. you who don't know. <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, you know, like uh, a coffee importer, uh, whether you're like a commercial importer or not, like most of them, they basically buy coffee in producing countries. Um, you know, like where the coffee grows. Um, and they ship them in containers, uh, bring them into a warehouse. Um, and one container, uh, you know, if it's a full container, it's like uh, uh, 300 uh, bags plus minus of 60 kilo uh, on average. And so basically you import full containers and you sell the coffee by the bag yeah. to anyone that wants, you know, like whether for us, whether it's like one bag or 100 bags, uh, it's fine. So, so you import coffee and then you kind of operate as a supermarket for coffee roasters. So coffee roasters can come and buy a bag or 10 bags or... Yes, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they, it's not like you go walk into the warehouse no. and <laughs> pick and choose, but uh, yeah, and that wouldn't do uh, much either because no. it's like, uh, yeah, it's not like branded with... Uh, yeah. So then you send samples to small roasters around the world and uh, based on what they like, they send you an email or call you and then they order some coffee. And they yes. get it delivered. Exactly. So obviously we have like a, we have a, a, a team, a great team. You know, like uh, one kind of uh, important part of the team is uh, what we call like the lab team. You know, like they work um, in uh, in the lab and where they they kind of do all the management of the samples going in and out. They roast samples. Uh, we taste coffees there, and then uh, we either send kind of green coffee samples or roasted samples to customers and then they uh, basically take decisions based on the samples they uh, get sent and then we have a sales department as well that are you know like one thing is that they receive orders but they're also in very close dialogue with any roaster uh, you know like on their needs trying to understand before you know like before the harvest and the season from the different countries what they're looking for so it's kind of a yeah Purchase planning. It's a per- yeah. It's yeah. a lot of purchase planning, and uh, the more the more we collaborate, or you know, like the the better and closer dialogue we have with our customers, the the, the faster they will get to, you know, like the products that uh, they are looking for. So. Yeah, and when you started, I mean, I we started our roasting company in two thousand and seven, and back then it was super difficult to get the highest quality coffees, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I started traveling myself, but. Uh, even when you started in 2012, it was pretty difficult to get uh, your hands on on good quality coffee. Like, um, exp- explain to the listeners and myself as well, like uh, the idea why you started and what was the kind of need you saw that uh, you could fulfill in the market. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, as we, as we uh, you know, like as explained earlier, I was, you know, like working in Royal Street, so obviously buying green coffee. And, you know, like in Europe at that time, I didn't really find any coffee because even if we went directly i mean we had needs for good coffee spot uh, pretty often so you know like first of all when i tried to find coffees in europe uh, just uh, you know like uh, uh, short term i couldn't i couldn't really find coffees that were uh, up to standard mm. so that was the one thing basic stuff like the quality wasn't there yeah but when you did find a coffee that you really liked there was hardly no information yeah so you didn't know where it came from, why it was tasting different, what kind of variety it was, you know, like how it was processed. So it was very difficult to buy that same kind of quality and the same profiles uh, next time yeah. uh, or or next season because mm. you didn't really get the information. And there were a few, I have to say that. I mean, you had a few uh, uh, that were kind of better than the others, but nobody really we're actively w- working on giving you proper information on the coffee. Mm. So, 
so that's was, when you started. That's that <laughs> that was the that was why we had that kind of philosophy and uh, and concept from the beginning. Yeah. That we were yeah. The the quality itself, of course, that's the the main thing. But you know, like the, the whole point was to share also the the story and the the product information where it was grown, how it was processed, what kind of uh, uh, environment environment is it was in, uh, the variety, all that. Yeah. yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, the beginning, like. Who was the first customers? Uh, what kind of coffees did you buy? Which origins did you go to? Uh, what oh. was the kind of focus in the beginning? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I do. Uh, li- like I said, I mean, I went to Africa, so you know, like I really loved, you know, like personally, I I really loved uh, African coffees, especially Ethiopians and Kenyans at that time. Uh, had also started to. I mean, I was already buying Rwandans and and coffee from other places as well, but. Uh, you know, so that was that's that's why I went there for like five six months, yeah. uh, and that was uh, part of the, the the thing. So, uh, and and uh, you know, like we saw that people really liked them, uh, but they didn't buy much. I think because you know, like the availability wasn't necessarily there, and it was like a lot of insecurity. Mm. Um, so you know, like uh, I my first containers I think was from. Kenya uh, and Ethiopia, as well as Salvador in Central America. I think it was Brazil. Uh, oh, maybe. Uh, I think that was the f- four first countries that I bought from the first year. And the thing was that, uh, you know, like uh, when I bought these first coffees, the sea market was kind of like today. It was like, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a long story, but you know, like the 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 average price for coffee was super high. Yeah. But the market crashed by the time I got my containers uh, in, <laughs> so I was sweating for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, and then we had uh, roasters, uh, obviously some Norwegians, but also from day one from the UK, like workshop, I think was like uh, very early on. Yeah. Uh, roasters from Germany, and we still have you know like uh, some of the same clients uh, yeah i remember we bought some ethiopian coffees they were amazing obviously. yeah and uh, like we had been uh, able to buy some ethiopian coffees before but um the problem back then was that everyone ended up with the same coffees and i can see to some extent today as well like especially here in norway a lot of you see a lot of the same coffees in in our markets but uh, there's much more availability now like hmm. there's much more roasters much more importers as well, yeah. um, which is, I think, a good thing because it's easy to get good coffee almost anywhere now. Whereas in 2012, it was almost impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but but like um, when you say you like to work in Africa and and uh, like what what do you actually mean with the work and wh- how do you add value to the coffees that you're sourcing from this origin? Uh, I mean, uh, again, it depends a little bit on the origin because, you know, like uh, there are so many um, uh, different challenges. But I would say generally we've always tried to, you know, like find, first of all, we like to work with smallholders mm-hmm. uh, and cooperatives. Uh, and even if we have like uh, some, some kind of, let's say, medium to larger farms, uh, I think, I don't know, like 70 percent or something of our coffees are from smallholders even today. Yeah. So what we what we like to do there is to find groups or cooperatives that don't really have access to the market, but they have great coffees and great potential. Not mm. always great coffees from day one, mm. but you know, like when we go there and we see the production, the infrastructure, understand the environment and taste coffees, we can you know, like uh, pretty quickly see if there's like good potential. And if we do find potential and we do kind of uh, like the management and feel that we have like, uh, yeah, like sharing the same values, then we try to, you know, like develop a kind of partnership where we work with them over time. Uh, Obviously, we're paying uh, more than the more than the, you know, like average commercial prices. and hopefully, if it all works well, we also make them a brand in the market. So mm. I mean, we're we're selling the coffee under their name uh, with their brand. Um, 
So, you know, like uh, in many cases, we have managed to also increase the price, uh, you know, like over over time. And then we do product development in places where we, you know, like see that there, there's potential of changing the process a little bit yeah. to custom it to our market uh, and make the coffee more attractive. Yeah. And that has changed a lot during the last, uh, I guess, 10 years. Yeah. The process, because it was mainly washed coffees when uh, you started. Yeah. And today you have a little bit of everything, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Naturals and different kind of anaerobic fermentations and other weird uh, processes. But uh, yeah, that's part of the development. Uh, but I would also say just for washed coffees, I mean, you can go to a place uh, and and taste good coffees mm. uh, and they're washed, but there's a lot of improvement that can be done. Mm. Yeah, uh, of course. So when I say process, I also mean generally improving you know like uh, the the brightness and cleanliness of the coffee without uh, making it too crazy also yeah and i think uh, that's like one of the things that uh, i remember because i've been attending uh, a few of your cuppings over the years where roasters come and they taste coffees and uh, people always refer to the coffees as being very clean high acidity um, kind of with good character and that's I mean, um, not all origins has a lot of character, but it's still that is also a character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that the point is, you know, like where we work is to try to 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 get the best out of the potential that's there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we're choosing countries where we know there's like uh, overall good uh, potential, but you know, like besides that, we, you don't expect a, a Brazilian to taste the same as an Ethiopian because no. it's like different environments. But you can have a really great Brazilian. Uh, you know, like relative to the the place and the variety and the and the the profiles that you have there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, just to talk about something else. That's one of the issues when people are every year. There's like a Christmas coffee tasting, mm. uh, and then people are putting Brazilians and Kenyans and Ethiopians and El Salvadoran coffees side by side. And of course, they always choose the Ethiopian as the best one. Yeah. But I mean, for me, it's like comparing Guinness to white wine and red wine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit a strange thing, but um. So what, what's your kind of favorite? You mentioned uh, Africa as being your favorite origins, but um, I know that you've been traveling a lot to Peru lately, um, trying to develop some new partnerships there. Yeah. Um, wh- why Peru? Like, why not uh, Ecuador or why not uh, Costa Rica? Uh, oh, there are so many things that, but I, I mean, I, generally, I, I, I would say, you know, like, uh, there's great coffees in Ecuador and there's like many places, Bolivia, you know, like just talking about that region there. Mm. Uh, and actually like some of our Peruvian coffees are just like a few, you know, like not even a kilometer from the Ecuadorian border. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I would say, I mean, that's 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 one thing, you know, like that uh, there's good coffee and there's good coffee in many places. But we try to find uh, countries that kind of tick different boxes. First of all, you know, like when we go into a country, we it's not like we want to get huge, but we want to be able to do something on that are scalable to a certain extent. Mm. You know, like not finding half a container or a container only from an origin. It's better if we can scale it up and do 10 containers or, or more over some years, because then, you know, like uh, actually we have to put in more or less the same work any, anyhow, and mm. then we can actually also have more impact. Mm. Um, and we reach out to more producers and stuff like that. So that's one thing. And uh, Peru is kind of has been an underdog for many years. And there's like, first of all, there's like smallholders. There's like great environment, elevation, varieties. But the infrastructure and, uh, you know, like the, 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 the way the trade is designed and the, the, the culture, let's say, um, is kind of behind compared to Colombia, for instance, that are yeah. a little similar. So you know, like going to Peru, you know that it's just started. Actually, you can find so many hidden kind of, uh, uh, let's say, treasures and, and valleys with like uh, different varieties and profiles. So that's what's intriguing. So mm. you can actually um, you can both scale it up and you you will. And we have already seen that we find like really different and outstanding products. So how do you approach that? Like, uh, I just want to demystify how a yeah. coffee buyer starts to work in an origin. You don't put on your uh, Indiana Jones outfit and <laughs> no. walk into the jungle. Like, um, 
how do you how do you actually start you know working in uh, origin like peru like peru is a good example because you yeah. just started uh i mean uh, it's it's kind of a process so i mean first of all the let's say the coffee industry especially i mean we're we're in the kind of internationally in the industry so you meet a lot of people you know like around both uh, producers exporters uh, roasters other importers it's a very open community also so you share a lot of information um and uh, you know like way before i was there i knew uh, mainly commercial kind of uh, companies working there but i did taste i don't know how many but probably hundreds of coffee coffees before i even went there mm. uh, so i had like an idea of uh, of uh, the kind of potential and then looking at geography and and things like that uh, as well as talking to people give you kind of an idea of what uh, what you can expect and where to start and i actually i mean i went to cup of excellence there but that was kind of part of i went there to because in cup of excellence you will see a range yeah but i also at that time mm. had like a plan of meeting people so you know like i had some leads on a few um, exporters and uh, and uh, some kind of co-ops organizations that i wanted to visit and talk to so you know like i went to cup of excellence i cupped coffees uh, i talked to these uh, people and then on that same trip i had planned for like a visit up north um, then uh, i uh, i went there with uh, jose from origin coffee lab that is now you know like uh, one of our exporters there mm. um, and that's uh, that's where i started but already at that time i mean i talked to him and other people and said like we we will never work with you know like one supplier only so you know like i'm, I'm looking for other um connections and then they jose uh, for example even if he's like an exporter himself he also introduced me to nice cooperatives and people in the industry mm. that gave me leads to you know like uh, dig a little uh, or or go you know like in other places and uh, yeah mm. and dig deeper where he's not working so that's kind of how it started and then we've just been there and copped hundreds of coffees uh, the uh, past five six years uh, in the season like not in covid but uh, yeah <laughs> you know like and and then that that's how we also structure it so when we're there with like a new supplier or a potential supplier we ask them to put up like a, a range of you know like different uh, places they work in different type of varieties and stuff like that and then you start to map out basically what what is more you know like uh interesting and that that fits you know like uh, uh our our market and uh, and needs so that's how you start and then do you kind of narrow down the producers you work with and do, do you buy from them every year or how how does it work yeah yeah more or less so you <coughs> know like part of, of going there is obviously also to visit uh, i mean in peru there's small holders like they have like one to two hectares each yeah so you know like so you're you're in the in the lab and you're coffee, cupping a lot of coffee and then when you find stuff you like you are i mean the way we work at least and we would as much as we can uh you know like go out and and visit the producers uh you know like you you get a a sense of both you know like the production they're doing but also the the general environment they're in you mm. know like and very often you see that okay here's one guy he's having great coffee and he work you know like maybe with his uh, siblings or there's like a small town and they work as a group and then you started to dig into that and then you suddenly you see that you can do more things there you can take some of the you know like outstanding lots and and do them as micro lots and then you can make a blend of you know like the the other uh, the other farmers in the group and mm. and uh, you know like uh, get more volume and add more value also um, through that so it's kind of a mix of things and then after that you can start after some years then you can start talking about product development yeah. you know like going into other processes and naturals but you don't we don't really do that from the no. from the beginning yeah. i was just about to comment on that because that's kind of the worst process that i've been through with most producers i buy from as well it's like you start buying and then after a couple of years when you have shown a little bit of commitment you can start talking about processes and also you need to understand the origin a little bit before you kind of dive into that exactly and <laughs> it's also you know like it's kind of risky because if they they do everything you ask them to do but it doesn't turn out uh, you know like well and yeah. and the product isn't good enough for purchase i mean they have spent resources and money and you have to respect that that's like a big deal yeah for the producers so for sure 
Cool. Well, I, my impression is that uh, in most origins and coffee people that I know at Origin, they're always willing to share um, their kind of a network with the buyers like you and, uh, and myself. And, um, you know, as much as there is competition in the market, there's also a lot of friendship. And I especially see in Honduras that people are working really closely together and recommending, you know, other exporters if they're running out of coffee or whatever. So um, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, coffee, the coffee industry is pretty nice in that way. Yeah. A lot of nice people. Absolutely. You mentioned transparency and uh, why is transparency so important to to Nordic approach? I mean, you al- you already mentioned that you were transparent with Jose in Peru that you were not just going to work with one but with several people, and I think that's uh, part of being transparent is not just talking about prices but also your business model. Um, mm. Why is this so important to to Nordic approach? Uh, oh, there is there is like so many layers to it. I think first of all, I mean transparency, traceability. Uh, you know, like uh, it's super important because if without that, you don't really know what you're actually buying, and uh, yeah. it's very difficult to you know like uh, repeat it or uh, you know like things like that. And we also actually want to uh, acknowledge the farmers uh, because they are the ones that are doing you know like the the groundwork. Uh, and they are the ones that are putting in the effort. Uh, and I think that's, you know, like part of building, uh, uh, let's say, a sustainable value chain. Mm. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, I think we all know that, that you know, like the, even if people say they want to pay for coffee, they're not really willing to pay necessarily the price that uh, a producer need to be sustainable. Mm. So, you know, like uh, I think transparency, not only on price, Transparency and traceability is is a big part of of that acknowledgement, yeah. and to get <laughs> consumers to understand what it actually takes to produce a good, just like one cup of coffee, it takes a lot of work. For sure, yeah. I think you know, in my experience, consumers are not so interested in uh, the probably because they don't fully understand it, but they're not so interested in market price for coffee and all these kind of things. But I think it's really important. Yeah. Th- that roasters are educated because a lot of people in our uh, coffee industry don't even know <laughs> anything about that. You know, they drink coffee every day, but they have no clue about what the coffee should cost or what it costs or the market prices. And I think um, I know that you're contributing uh, numbers to the uh, transparency coffee guy. What is it called? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and have been doing so for many years. Yeah. Uh, we're also part of that now, but uh, <coughs> a lot of people are referring to the sea markets. You were also doing it, but um, as being the market price for coffee. But it turns out that's not the market price for quality coffee, and we're in a kind of different market. So it's kind of like you're comparing the market price for uh, industrial beer with the uh, craft beer. Mm. <laughs> They're two different things, and I think uh, people need to understand that in coffee as well. Like. Uh, see market price for coffee is generic coffee. It's not for the high quality that you're operating with, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And what what's typically a price for uh, for coffee uh, today? Like, just uh, to give the listeners some numbers, like let's say a, um, Ethiopian coffee or Kenyan coffee. What do you have to pay for that today? Uh, talking about quality, quality obviously. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think uh, Ethiopian coffees, you know, like for what we call grade ones that are, let's say, the higher, I mean, it's kind of a, a internal grading system. But on, on top of that, of course, we are selective based on the profile and also knowing the producers, what they put into the to the to the production, starting around yeah, four dollars. Mm. Uh, I would guess when it comes to to the season now, that was like uh, where we ended like uh, last season also, like uh, a little more than four dollars per pound. That means you know like closer to ten dollars per kilo yeah. uh, of green coffee. Uh, uh, but for Kenyans, you have to add another you know like uh, four five dollars per kilo yeah. um, in the current market. Uh, Still pretty cheap. Still pretty cheap, especially I mean, if you if you compare uh, the prices over many years. Yeah. I mean, with inflation alone and everything, it's still very cheap for a very good quality product. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, yeah. and and both those are pretty high. I mean, yeah. even if we're paying more in most countries, I mean, today it's kind of a it's a it's a lot of volatility in the market. So it's a it's a and there's like lack of coffee, so it's a little different. But let's say in a let's say in a more normal year, we're paying less than that, uh, but way above you know like the commercial prices that producers are getting. Yeah, and uh, the commercial price would typically be between one dollar and three dollars depending on the yeah <laughs> before markets. yeah exactly before the 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 the, the last you know like a uh, year or two where it's been crazy i mean you could buy a decent you know like high commercial from brazil maybe at four dollars per kilo three four dollars mm. uh, and then that's decent yeah and that's insane i think that's insane yeah <laughs> But uh, I mean, coffee is still a uh, very affordable luxury. And uh, do you think the prices will maintain uh, the kind of uh, levels that it's at today? Or oh. you think it will go down again? Or I mean, uh, it's so hard to say. I mean, if, if you knew, you could be probably be a millionaire earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, uh, that's not the point. But uh, I mean, historically, the prices have peaked, uh, you know, like for uh, for a shorter period of time, and then mm. they go down again. Yeah. Uh, uh, hoping it's not, you know, like uh, it's not good if it's volatile either. So you know, like if it could stabilize on a let's say on a medium level, maybe uh, that would be good. Yeah. But I mean, that's also part of the point with the Transparency Act. So like you said, you know, like that's just like a basic price for for generic coffee, but. We, what everyone in the industry actually wants is to have like a different pricing kind of uh, system or pricing tiers for quality coffee and that's the point so no matter if the world coffee prices goes up and down you know like we have to find a sustainable level for quality yeah uh, where the producers actually get the we should find a sustainable level for commodity coffees as well like uh, you see today the coffee prices are pretty high compared to what they have been historically mm-hmm. um but then fertilizer prices have been at least doubling in many countries and true transport costs transport crazy. costs oil and that's know, not labor cheap. you think africa and stuff is cheap but if you look at the transport cost there it's insane yeah so, so what happens if the coffee prices go down again like yeah that's no good so i suspect that we will see a higher level than we have been hmm. um, after this period but uh, you never know i hope so yeah <laughs> i hope so too there's far too many farmers who are not making money on growing coffee. And maybe they will find a different alternative. You never know. No. Avocados or, yes. you know, there, there are options. There, there are options, options for sure. Okay, how has uh, your company evolved since 2012? Like, wh- what do you look like today? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, when I started, uh, was basically alone you helped me out a little bit and i used yeah. your uh, small cupping lab in the, in the in the coffee shop yeah. you know like to cup coffee and then uh, just after that i had my first employee called uh, alec that's still with us today is the sales manager of the of the company um you know and then so then we we worked actually we borrowed uh, some space in solbergen hansen the roastery i used to work for before that yeah. so you know like we had a few seats there and then we uh, took our first office i can't remember 2013 or something uh, employed uh, you know like a few people within the next uh, year or two and um Today we are about 22 employees. Uh, I mean, we have yeah across the whole kind of uh, company. There's like uh, different entities, but we're all working with with coffee and sourcing and sales and stuff like that. So we're 22 people involved overall, and um, yeah, we're doing. I don't know, like we're not big uh, in in the sense of commodity. We're, we're doing like 50. 50 containers-ish, like 1,000 tons of, uh, of coffee, yeah. uh, green coffee, and um, yeah. That's and, pretty uh, good, though. Yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, who is your customers today? Like, uh, how has the market changed since you started? Uh, I mean, so our biggest market today, and it's been almost from the beginning for some reason, is, is uh, UK, looking hmm. at the single market. Obviously, um, Scandinavia with uh, with Nordic as the biggest there is also yeah. uh, important. But then, 
outside of that, we're spread around like across Europe in general. And we've seen, you know, like, let's say in the beginning, it was UK and Central Europe and Scandinavia. And we've seen like a huge uh, kind of increase in demand in uh, former Eastern Europe, like uh, Czech Republic, for instance, is a, is a great market for us today. All these countries, you know, like uh, there you have, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Germany. I mean, we're we're all over. Even in South uh, South Southern Europe, where mm. there's like a very different culture, we see a lot of uh, development now. Spain, Italy, France has uh, become really good. So. Finally, yeah. <laughs> so there's uh, there's definitely a movement, and then we're also selling from our warehouse in Europe. Actually, we're also selling decent amounts to Southeast Asia. Uh, Middle East is increasing. Oh. So, yeah. All over the world. All over the world, yeah. more or less. Well, that's great because, um, I mean, uh, I remember traveling to European cities you know, back in 2010 and getting good coffee was almost impossible. Even in London, like, yeah. that kind of started in 2010. They had, like, a boom and then all of a sudden, two years later, there were, like, thousands of coffee shops where you could get good coffee. Yeah. And uh, obviously they have to buy coffee from somewhere and uh, those roasters are also opening a lot. Mm-hmm. I, when I started my roastery, there were like, I think less than 20 roasters in Norway and now there's more than 80. Yeah. And uh, I guess most of them are your customer. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Like I just saw actually on a, I went to a small uh, kind of a, uh, dairy uh, outlet in uh, in the southern part of uh, Norway. They were selling cheese and some kind of local specialties. And on the wall, there was a coffee bag from Nordic Approach. <laughs> and uh, I asked them if they bought coffee, and they, she said, no, I just found it here. And so that <laughs> means uh, you are definitely around in the market, especially here in Norway. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about how you can add value to at origin or farmers uh, working with product development and kind of making the farmers uh, kind of recognized in the market. But uh, how, how do you add value to the roasters? Because um, a lot of people will say that importers are just middlemen and it's been a very popular kind of sentence in the coffee industry for the last you know, 10, 15 years that we need to get rid of the middlemen. But uh, in my experience, we need a lot of middlemen <laughs> to help us with logistics and uh, and other things. So how, how do you kind of, as an importer, add value to the roasters? Um, uh, and I guess there's many different answers to this, but uh, in general, like a small roaster or a medium yeah. roaster? So, uh, I mean, first of all, going back to origin a little bit, we try to work in kind of countries where it's not like uh, generally super easy to just go in and, uh, and do a handshake and, and get some coffee shipped. Like Ethiopia. Uh, yeah, like Ethiopia. <laughs> uh, so, you know, like that, it, it starts there. So, and we have actually avoided uh, places. I mean, you can just take uh, Panama as an example. I mean, it's great coffees there and, yeah. uh, you know, like, but it's also very well developed and basically it's easy to go there and, and meet an exporter and they can ship everything from two bags, to, you know, like, or by flight or, or, or consolidate it in a container and you can have it at your door, you know, like in yeah. a few months. So we don't really try to work in those places because then we are just kind of a logistics kind of partner and that's that's uh, that, that's fair and that's 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 also a business but that's not our business yeah let's say. so so it starts there trying to find you know like uh, work with producers and coffee where we can add value in origin and then obviously uh, like you said uh, we have many clients smaller small to medium clients and they they don't uh, first of all they don't necessarily uh, need a full container so they need partial kind of uh, uh, you know like basically coffee by pallet um, they don't necessarily have a warehouse uh, they don't necessarily have uh, a lot of financing capacity mm. um, so that's kind of the service that we're doing but but beside that we're also kind of a, a guarantee for quality so I mean we're we're you know like following the coffee through the supply chain so we're cupping first of all we we cup and we find and we contract the coffee and then we make sure that it's kind of uh, processed and prepared for export in the right way that Mm. it's sorted correctly Um, and then we 
you know, like make sure that the, the, the let's say the transport and shipping is efficient and that the warehouse conditions are, are good because like coffee itself is a very sensitive and volatile product mm. and it can easily be damaged mm. if it's not like stored properly or if it goes on a ship that, uh, you know, like uh, sits in, in a super humid harbor in Saudi Arabia for a month, you know, like the coffee will be destroyed. So we're kind of taking that. First of all, we're, we're kind of managing that because that's what we do mm. uh, better than just like if you're doing it randomly. And then we're also taking, you know, like the, let's say the risk uh, because it's our responsibility that the coffee, you know, like arrives here in, in a good condition and, yeah. and tastes good and tastes good. Yeah. So, you know, like, uh, so, so I think it's a combination of doing normal good service on logistics. There's like financial services, there's, uh, you know, like customer service and, uh, and, and planning and, and, you know, like uh, preparation for a season, but it's also kind of risk management on their behalf. Yeah. So as a roaster, you're basically buying risk-free, high quality, guaranteed <laughs> with yeah. the traceability and transparency. That's yeah. uh, in short uh, words. And that's not a, you know, it's, it's not so easy uh, to do import coffee. I, I import from the same producers every year and we have good communications and good quality control at farm level and all these kind of things. There's still a lot of risk involved. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for me, it's more, um, it's a little bit easier when I do it like that. And also we, we buy quite a lot from each one. So it kind of makes sense to do it on my own. But uh, if I was to buy 10 bags from Costa Rica, 10 bags from El Salvador, it would be a nightmare, you know, mm. uh, a lot of work for very little and also a lot of risk and time. And I guess that's a big value that you can offer uh, especially for small roasters, but also I guess for for medium-sized roaster. I know you you kind of do, like you said, purchase planning with bigger roasters and kind of do the import for them as well. Yeah, and we also do, I mean, through our sister company, which is again, the same organization, just like a different entity. We do, we do also full containers actually for okay. roasters that are, you know, like uh, Ethiopia is a typical example where we have ground staff in Ethiopia uh, you know, we have an office there. We have people that are working with the supply chain every day mm. uh, to both to find uh, exceptional coffees and to, again, maintain quality and follow it, you know, like through every step. Uh, so and uh, there's a good amount of, uh, of bigger roasters that want quality that are buying full containers through us. Yeah. Of course, our margins are much smaller. Uh, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. But uh, also less work. Less work. <laughs> And I guess less risk as well. A little bit, yes. Yeah. It's on a, it, it's on different terms, different types of contracts. Yeah. Um, so it depends on on the contract, basically. Great. Uh, I have a couple of questions before we round up, but um, you are one of the persons that I know I know that has probably tasted the most coffee that I know. I know. I mean, I know other coffee buyers as well that might have tasted more coffees than you, but at least in my immediate. Uh, surroundings you are the person who has tasted the most coffees that i know and yeah. um a lot of good coffees a lot of bad coffees yeah. i know you're a great copper because you are able to have like a reference kind of in your head so uh, as a good example if if uh, myself included if a if a coffee person comes up to a coffee table and tastes 10 different coffees you will always find the best one but knowing how good that coffee is takes a little bit of experience. So knowing what kind of score range that coffee actually is, because it might be a, a table of very low scoring coffees and th the best one happened to be just a little bit higher, or it could be a level of all top quality coffees, but there was one that was a standout, you know? But um, I know that you are pretty good at having that kind of point reference, um, uh, which is very, very difficult, I guess, because, uh, if you're copying a table of Brazilians and uh, then a table of Kenyans, you know, those coffees would score very, very differently. And you're looking for different criteria, I guess. Um, can I just tell a little bit about, you know, how, how do you approach a copying table? Like if you go to Brazil and then you go to Kenya the following week, like how, how do you approach that? Uh, I mean, I would say, let's say if I go to origin, for instance, and cup, first of all, it's also a different environment uh, than what you're used to, you know, like water will be different and roast profiles probably and everything. So I'm very careful in just like jumping in 
day one and and uh, do the judgment yeah you know like uh, especially like ne- negatively because uh, you know like uh, so i'm i'm pretty humble to that uh, i would say so you know like in the, in that kind of uh, environment you i probably need like a, a day to to calibrate and to go through you know a little systematically and then i'm i'm not I'm not like too fussed about putting a, just like a, a final score. It's mm. more like seeing profiles and figuring out, you know, like uh, how it all works with uh, extraction and water and everything. Not technically, not measuring it, mm. but more, you know, like sensorically. Um, so, and then when when that's done, then you, I think it's because, I mean, you, at least for me, been copying a lot of coffees over the years. So you have kind of a mental library almost. But you really have to focus some sometimes and concentrate, mm. and then you try you, you start to get you know like uh, um, let's say uh, references uh, you know like you see certain things in a coffee that you know okay I know that type of flavor I understand this environment then you see that I think this will come out in this or that way negative or positive mm. so that's part of the the kind of thing not just looking at you know, like simply the cup itself, is it good or not good? Yeah. It's more like trying to see underneath, uh, see what's there, um, find things that you you recognize and that you over time know will will kind of uh, come out in certain ways with different roasting or... So that I think that's the first part and not, not necessarily scoring always the cup itself, but the potential of the cup. Mm. I think that's kind of the, the first thing. Um, yeah, and then... And trying to be, you know, like... I'm also, I have to remind myself uh, that, you know, like for us, it might be easy, you know, like you can come there and you can be, you know, like the, the, the king of the world and just say, ah, oh, this is shit and this is great. Yeah. But, you know, like very often there's producers that have put their whole, you know, like their, their whole, I mean, their heart and their soul, but also it's, it's kind of their, their income for the year. Yeah. And you have to be very humble to that and, and you can't really uh go light on on kind of especially if you're gonna uh, slam it or reject it or whatever so yeah i think that's that's really you have to to focus on that uh do you think like uh when i cup coffees i, I kind of need to know what am i cupping like I, of course it has to be a blind cupping but um uh, for instance if you're uh, tasting wine you you would be interested in knowing is it uh, Burgundy or is it Bordeaux that we're tasting? Because then you kind of look for different things, mm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, I would say so. But I mean, it's kind of, uh, if you're in a country, it's kind of obvious, yeah. a, a little more obvious, or if you're in a region or in an area that you know. But I think it's harder, like if you're cupping at home and you just have like a random table and it can be like you said mixed of you know like brazils and then it's then it's kind of hard yeah uh, so then you, yeah you just have to <laughs> try to to be uh neutral let's say yeah. uh it's but, really but, but, but it is <laughs> difficult so yes in some in some cases it, it helps at least to know kind of the overall concept or where it's from mm. but i also like to say that more and more I mean, trying to be more objective, it's not like whether you love a coffee, you know, like just because you just want to drink it there and there, uh, just just now. It's more like seeing the beauty in different profiles. Mm. Uh, and I think it's actually interesting what's happening now because you don't really, before it was like you had to know whether it's like a processed uh, as a natural or a washed or whatever, but it's also fine to say it's good because it's good without actually knowing yeah what it is or what varieties it is like yeah. there's been a lot of talk about that you know like there are some varieties that are kind of uh i don't know uh, that have a bad reputation uh, because of the genetics uh, and then when you cup blindly and you you really find beautiful coffees among them like uh, colombian castillos and mm. And Varidal Colombia is, is uh, good examples where, you know, like you can find they, beautiful coffees if you're open, but if you, yeah. Yeah, if you're not, then you will never find them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the, everyone's going to want to know, what's the best coffee you've ever tasted? Oh, I hate that question. <laughs> I can't really I answer. hate it as well. Yeah. 
I mean, I think just looking back, I think it must be like Kenyan, uh, uh, some Kenyan coffees, you know, like uh, probably like seven, eight uh, years ago, kind of in the early start of, of Nordic, where we really explored, you know, like a bigger range of Kenyan. Mm. I think, but that's kind of personal. Mm. I mean, it's not like from a very objective, but I just love those coffees when they're good. And I just still remember some coffees where I just got like crazy goosebumps and yeah, they were amazing. But and I also, you know, like more and more, it's, you know, like when I was in Peru now, I just cupped some coffees that were like just so different and tasted like, I don't know, like, mango and tropical fruit not because they were like uh, fermented in any different ways just like varieties yeah uh, local varieties that are just coming out that's really really beautiful and uh, even if they're not like the most expressive coffees that's also that have you know like it's it's beauty as well mm. uh, so i struggle with this question as well yeah. like uh, <clears throat> a lot of people ask me what my favorite coffee is and my favorite coffee is different every day yeah <laughs> Because uh, for breakfast, I like to drink something other than uh, for lunch. And like, I don't drink coffee for lunch, but like after lunch. So um, as much as I'm a huge fan of Kenyan coffees myself, I rarely drink it. Because yeah. <laughs> I taste it a lot and I enjoy it so much when I taste it. But um, like when I get up in the morning, I, I just want something uncomplicated and nice. And I normally bring something that we have tested or something home. So I, I can kind of enjoy that in the morning. But it's, it's a difficult thing, and it's kind of like asking what's your favorite wine. Like, yeah. depends what I'm eating and my mood. And yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think I can say, like, from generally, just like personally, I really just like the coffees when they're like super bright and and floral and crisp with you know like distinct fruit. Yeah, you know, like uh, bright, clean, distinct fruit. That's like uh, whether it's like Ethiopians or Kenyans or Colombians can have some of the same find some of it in Peru uh, mm. that's like drinkable coffee for me like uh, do you have a favorite variety if you were to choose one for the rest of your life no I don't think so I I, I wouldn't it's easy to say SL then since I, I mean like yeah. uh, probably like an SL 28 or something but uh, I think some of the most amazing coffees is Ethiopia as well, and yeah. the variety is kind of a little. You you never know exactly <laughs> no, what it is. That's true, but it's definitely distinct. So that uh, I would like to say something Ex super exotic, exotic and yeah. interesting. But uh, I mean, I I like those as well. Geishas as an example. I mean, but I don't know. It's like uh, it's great, but it's not like that intriguing to me either. So no, it it's strange because I I know that you like high acidity floral coffees. But it's very hard to uh, impress you with a geisha. <laughs> yeah, and it's also like I like to be kind of uh, taken by surprise or impressed yeah. by the underdogs, and yeah. not necessarily the obvious ones. So. Typical. Like uh, personally, I really enjoy bourbons, mm. um, like old bourbons from high altitude. They can be so sublime and very subtle, but fruity and floral and whiny and just sweet. Yeah. Uh, so I think and and. But the best, really best bourbons very often taste like SLs. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of a... Yeah. I think in South Central, you know, like yellow Caturas, for instance, can to me be amazing. Also, mm. if they're from high altitude, uh, that's, you know, like in several countries, they've been standing out. Like, uh, so I guess I like that because I'm very often selecting them on the table. Let's uh, start to round this up. Uh, where are we heading or where are you heading the next 10 years with Nordic Approach and your company and yourself? Ooh. Uh, no, hopefully I'm still here. Um, but uh, for the company, I still think, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. I, I don't really feel that. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's 10 years, but I still feel that we're kind of figuring out stuff and that we're a startup. So. Yeah. I think we hopefully will develop uh, much more. I mean, on the coffee side, uh, it's definitely so much going on, you know, like in production and and uh, on on processes and the products. So that that's definitely something that will develop, uh, you know, like naturally because we. I mean, the goal for us is to keep 
keep it, let's say, niche and on a high quality level rather mm. than grow big. So that's the one thing we want to keep, keep and maintain kind of the, let's say, the the niche that we're doing uh, on on quality only. But then I think you know, like we are, uh, we have to develop, uh, and we are kind of having that on on uh, the books now. We actually started also with new systems, so definitely go more digital. Um, uh, sustainability is something that we, uh, I mean, we we talk about it. We do our best, but it's not good enough, in my opinion. So we yeah. definitely have to develop some more kind of measurable uh, programs there, uh, and also you know like verified impact. Uh, we're looking at that uh, different yeah. ways to 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 manage that. So we're obviously in an industry where there's a lot of flying involved, especially when it go to origin. So yeah. uh, and uh, you know. That is just so bad on the environment that it's really, really difficult to kind of uh, nullify that effect. So um, I agree with you, like coffee industry is in general not very sustainable. Um, so there's ways you could, you know, measures you could do to, to get more sustainable easily. I don't like to talk or mention uh, sustainability in our marketing or anything because, you know, <laughs> I, I just feel like we're greenwashing if we're doing it yeah. because... Um, uh, it's not sustainable today, but uh, let's hope we get there one day, for sure. Mm. Cool. Anything else you would like to say to the listeners? Mm, no, not that I can think of. I think you covered a lot of uh, <laughs> topics. Covered everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Martin, for joining us and uh, enlightening us about your company and what you do. Uh, I'm sure I'll invite you another time to talk about something else because you're be really a big resource when it comes to green coffee and origins and cupping and uh, I know I've learned a lot from over the years we've been traveling a lot together in the past and uh, do from time to time meet here and there uh, randomly yeah. we obviously work in the same building so that's uh, <laughs> we meet more often than that but um, thank you so much for joining us and for the listeners if you don't uh, no, you could follow Nordic Approach on Instagram. It's uh, at Nordic Approach. Yep. Uh, and then Nordic Approach website, I guess, if you wanna are interested in buying coffees. It sounded very commercial, but uh, you know, uh, as much as I hate doing commercials, I love drinking good coffee. And if I can access better coffee in everywhere around the world, that's uh, just a win-win for everyone, I think. So thanks for joining us and I uh, hope you liked the episode. Uh, next episode, I don't know what's going to be about, but uh, we'll figure it out and hopefully it won't be too long until we release it. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.